0: episode 292 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode i talk to Joe Mirabello of Terrible Posture Games about their comedy adventure game 3 out of 10. Yes you heard correctly, comedy adventure game. I well, know there's been a fair few of those but this one is episodic and it's free! I know right? Free on the Epic Game Store and it's, it's very very entertaining. It's in half an hour chunks and we delve into how we make such a game knowing that it's actually in small, discrete sort of sections rather than in a whole grandiose thing. It's like a sitcom only on video game form. Interesting thing. Which is why I had them on, or Joe on, I should point out. So uh, without further ado, let's listen to me from earlier on today, actually, because we've kind of shuffled around the schedule because we wanted to land this episode of the Sausage Factory just as the last episode of the first season of 3 out of 10 lands on Epic GameStop. So it kind of matches. So we shuffled things around a little, just a little bit. So uh, without further ado, let's just listen to me from about an hour ago. Joe! Hello. Hi. Uh, hello. Who are you? And what do you do?
1: Hi. Uh, my name is Joe Marabello. I'm the creative director, CEO, and founder of Terrible Posture Games. Um, I have... I've been making uh, indie games since 2000 and, oh, geez, 2012. I went from being a uh, a AAA developer and then went into the world of indie with a game called Tower of Guns, uh, which uh, was a mostly solo project, and then made a follow-up game after that called Mother Gunship, which was co-developed with um, a company named Grip Digital, and then a bunch of uh, of friends of mine who then uh, we, we kind of all started together working on um three out of ten um so not crypt digital but uh, uh all of the, the other people who are on the gunship and so, uh, so joe you're doing the classic what most guests do yeah
0: is that they ask the answer the second question before i've answered it it's impressive oh, I'm so sorry uh, because it's a natural thing and i'll need to fix it because uh, i say who are you what do you do you do that and then start going into your career history and like wait I did. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you want to retake it then? We can retake Absolutely it. Absolutely not. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> we have a lot of guests to do it, and it makes perfect sense because you suddenly realise that you're faced with someone asking you questions about yourself, and you go, well, makes sense. i am got to ask a about my history. But the second question genuinely is, how did you make you start making video games? So we can go a little bit back because you did say you did work for a large AAA company probably rendering pots on Assassin's Creed oh, no, or no. something. Well...
1: No. Okay. You want to you want to know what I how I started? Yes, I go started. on. You can go as far back as you like. All right. Well, back in 1980. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, uh, yeah. So back in uh, uh, my first job in the industry was not you know making pots in Assassin's Creed, but I was <laughs> making swords in Titan Quest. There you go. Uh, I was making swords and axes and hammers and uh, a lot of weapons. Now Titan Quest was a Diablo clone, and it I was, was a, a uh, good one, essentially. Uh, thanks. Uh, it was, oh geez, it had, you know, Diablo clones. They've got tons of weapons and there was pretty much just one guy making all those weapons. Me, I made like 700 different weapons in that game. Um, and that was what I was doing. And there were quick weapons too. Some of them looked really terrible, but that was because I needed to get a lot of them made. And I really cut my teeth on how to make stuff quickly in game art. So I went from being a game artist, then I did a few characters in the expansion pack. So there's a couple of monsters in there that are me and then. Uh, I left Iron Lore Entertainment, the makers of Titan Quest, and went to a company called 38 Studios, which uh, was in the news a lot when it closed down because it was pretty disastrous. Like if you Google uh, 38 Studios, you'll get all sorts of interesting stories. I was uh, just on the development side. I have no idea about the biz side of it, but there was like a loan from the state of Rhode Island involved with relocating the studio. And there was like an FBI investigation when the studio went bankrupt. It was like wild.
0: It's a, I've documentaries and all sorts have been written about things that happened. Fascinating. And also, yeah. and I was
1: there from the beginning, pretty much. I was like, from the, from, you know, like I started that studio, not started studio. I started at that studio before the team had computers. Uh, We hadn't even gotten our computers delivered yet. Um, Now I, yeah sorry go ahead lots of scribbling on bits of paper then <laughs> oh we were yeah and yeah. i and i was drawing you know weapons and environments and you yeah, know i yeah. was doing a little bit of concept art i went from being a weapon artist and a character artist to kind of this hybrid concept artist in the beginning of 38 to then a full-on environment artist and then that's where the road changed for me um i was actually pulled into a room and being like you know they, they, they sat me down and they're like you know you could do environments or characters you're pretty solid at both what do you want to do and I decided that I really wanted to explore more environments because on an MMO, like, come on, the character art and on an MMO, while there's a lot of fun and wildly creative stuff, there's a ton of just armor and weapons and like just 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 stuff that's not necessarily as exciting as let's build a really wild city or let's build this fantastic location filled with you know like bizarre fantasy elements. So t- to me, it seemed like that was the more interesting road to go, rather than making a ton of armor. Um, so I shifted to environment, and then I gradually became more and more technical, um, and became a tech artist, then a senior tech artist, and was running a team of, oh, I don't know, there was five other tech artists. Um, and then when Thirty Eight closed, I looked around me and I was like, well, you know, I could, uh, I can, I could make a studio go bankrupt. I could do that good, so why not try? Um, And uh, I was like, I'm going to set out on my own and do my own thing. I mean, I'd also been kind of burned at working for a larger studio with 300 people making a game meant to be made for millions of people. And I kind of wanted to just make something on my own. And maybe I'll make it for one player, like a single player. So like, it, it felt like I needed that like sabbatical. And then that sabbatical accidentally turned into a career. (laughs) <laughs> so I've been, I've been, been indie ever since. And I mean, I had to teach myself a lot of stuff. But I've, you know, I've gone from being a weapons environment, a weapons artist, character artist, environment artist, to technical artist. To on Tower of Guns, I did the terrible engineering work. Um, but I was doing basic engineering, basic, basic, uh, very basic scripting and programming. On Mother but, Gunship, I did a lot of tech art, a lot of UI stuff. It was like yeah, all but, over the place and directing.
0: But my retort to that is, yeah, but but Pong. <laughs> you know i mean that was just a pair of bats and look how successful that was and i'm not nearly suggesting or denigrating the effort you put into making uh, the stuff you do but i'm just the point is it's, it's there isn't it i mean that's the first video game I ever personally played because i'm showing sure my age but it genuinely was in an arcade standing on a box with my brother playing this ridiculous weird tv game that i had no idea awesome. but that's exactly what was my first experience as well it was the big yellow one the original big yellow yeah you're talking red. about
1: the 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 like the really funny looking arcade yeah. one i think you can find yeah it yeah. was like bubbly looking and retro sci-fi looking. Just, just, um, I just
0: i was on a remember standing on a box when i was only 5 and was like what what this dad like i don't know son never go
1: <laughs> yeah, you can uh, you, There's a place near me where you can see and play One of those still yeah. um, when, it's, when it's working, uh, there's yeah. an arcade that has a lot Of retro machines and, uh,
0: But um, my point is, you know, you said you you know, you're, you're saying, oh this is Crappy physics and blah 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 But hey, people gravitated to it We were chatting about, oh yeah, the virtual agreement About our very own Darren Gargett Who were uh, enthused <laughs> You know About said gate tower of Yeah that's fun. Well, it Tower was guns.
1: it was it was fun to make. It was fun to build, and uh, in the end, suddenly there were you know many 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 people playing this game. And, yeah. uh When it came to Mother Gunship, then I had to really learn how to direct people because I mean, even though I you know kind of led a team and managed a team of tech artists before, and uh, with Tower Guns, even that wasn't a solo effort because once we got beyond the PC, I need help bringing it to consoles. Yeah. So that was where I first partnered with Grip Digital, and then Grip. Digital, they were just like, hey, do you want to direct us in making a follow-up game? We've got a bunch of developers here. We we would like to make a game with you. Um, and uh, that became Mother Gunship. Um, and it was directing their team uh, as much as I could from 7,000 miles away. Um, and uh, um, at the same time, doing a lot of fun development work on the project itself. And then now with three out of 10, uh, it's we're still all remote, we kind of set ourselves up into that pattern of just being a remote studio, so you know, kind of forced on you now, <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's we were just gonna, it was just like, oh, everyone's working from home, Well, wow, welcome to the club, everybody. Welcome Let me tell you about world. all these, yeah,
0: yeah. And what's really, really intriguing is a lot of companies or a lot of uh, governments and departments need to get back to work, like, why <laughs> really you don't, don't
1: want to do yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Spend time on the highways. Spend yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, there is a huge benefit to having the development happen, it's like to having conversations in person. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, if you want to go down that road, man, I've got opinions.
0: Yeah, yeah, us yeah. <laughs> can... not let's not go there. Because okay. we've only got a certain amount of time. But no, it's a great right. sort of storied history, and you've, you've got some, you know, awesome titles behind you that you've. Uh... Again, thank you for Titan <laughs> Quest. That that was great, and it's been re-released several times. So you know fair play to it yeah. yeah thanks
1: i mean it's okay so the weird thing is, is that thq nordic nordic is just going around and buying up all the old things i used to to mess with <laughs> i worked on like they bought titan quest and yeah they re-released that i didn't work directly on reckoning kingdoms of a reckoning i did do a little bit of like peripheral stuff like collaborating right. with the team that worked on that okay um but still then thq went and bought that yeah, yeah um yeah. so it's like it's been oh i don't know uh a funny road I, I guess i should see whether or not they're they're interested in buying a tower of guns for me someday <laughs> <laughs> so
0: um yeah. i think we can move on to the next sure. question this this is the infamous infamous third question which regular listeners will know it could go either way everyone here we go deep breath as you creator of things and you can answer this on your personal point of view or on behalf of terrible posture games it's
1: entirely up to you mm-hmm. what
0: are your biggest influences
1: everything <laughs> like seriously like yeah like the universe I, what, is a valid answer <laughs> no it's 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 i am very much a uh, a person who goes from influence to influence and i am so inspired by everything i see around me that i end up kind of not being a like i think there's probably two kinds of people out there there's people who are like a pot of influences and they're just like these are all the things that make me who i am And then there's other people who are a revolving door. And I am definitely a revolving door being like, ooh, cool, cool, cool. Let's gather all these cool ideas. And then they percolate there. And then you pour out whatever the percolated result is. And you're like, I've got something interesting. But then almost before it's done pouring, you're like, you know what? Let's toss in these other influences. It's like I get inspired and excited by everything. Mm -hmm. There are some things that I definitely fall back on um, that I find that, like, are, are core to my identity and that's
0: the more the stuff I'm sort of interested in and where this question right. comes from. Because you make stuff, mate. Whether you like it I or try. Not, you yeah. You make stuff. <laughs> and whether you like it or not, consciously or subconsciously, there are things that you lean on for good or ill that you go, yeah, that's 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 my bag. That's what I do. That's how I roll. Thankfully people stop
1: saying that even I just did. But yeah,
0: this <laughs> this is this is the thing that this is me. This is part of me. Uh, and what do you think okay. these things are?
1: All right. Uh, so here's one that you probably don't hear too much from game developers these days, but I think you probably would have in the in the 90s, but I think it's still very true to me. And that's, I am very, I think, uh, inspired in the fiber of who I am by absurdist British humor. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like these days, humor, and, and this is very, very relevant to 3 out of 10, because for those for your listeners who haven't seen it, three out of 10 is a comedy game. And Deep. it's, uh, yeah. it's yeah. An episodic, you know, to give you the, like the, the pitch of it, it's an episodic comedy, half hour long game that's released every single week for free on the Epic Game Store. But anyway, now that's out of the way. Hard, like funny games are hard to make because I feel like for me these days, a lot of humor is based in like a sense of superiority. And um, for me, what I find the most funny is not superiority, but surprise. And I feel like, the British absurdist humor is rooted in surprise, in in delighting the viewer, or the the collaborator of the you know the other party of the the humor in something they weren't expecting. Um, and I find that that approach to comedy, whether it's Monty Python or Douglas Adams, it's like really, uh, you know, or Rowan Atkinson. Ak- Ak- I can never say his last name. Um, it's like that absurdity is what I really enjoy, and um, yeah, hopefully there's be... other people who enjoy that same kind of absurd comedy because i certainly do and i feel like it's missing
0: yeah because i can give you an example because i am british so i grew up with this comedy and quite frankly took it for granted right because of course you did but right. i shouldn't i shouldn't <laughs> have done i shouldn't have done but i did so you know the young ones one of the most celebrated episodes can't remember which one it was was when you know the doorbell rung and the front door of the house exploded you know it genuinely did explode off its hinges And because Vivian decided to put the detonator on the doorbell, he was worried that people couldn't hear it properly, not realising that by doing so he would destroy the door. And then the door exploded, and then a a postman, in inverted commas, walked in. But it was clearly an actor who then proceeded to overact the role of the postman, and it just went on from there. Uh, And everything was absurd, and your point, you're absolutely right. It's anchored around absurdity, lunacy, ridiculous nonsense. You know, it just, this isn't. You know, yes, we've done with magnificent satirists as well. Trust me, really. Oh, the heavens! Yes, really good at satire, very good at satire, but also very good at the absurd and the just like wait, how how do we get from a, how do we get from there to there? I mean, there's even to in Blackadder, which, uh, Blackadder goes forth, yep. where Baldric. He's sitting there going, how did the war start? <laughs> and, uh, Bla- you know, and uh, Edwin Blackadder, Captain Blackadder, says, uh, well, there was two sides heavily armed. And they thought, well, if you're so heavily armed with machine guns, <laughs> there would never be a war, right? Now, thing is, this plan is, um, it's fine, except for the one major point is it, it, it was bollocks <laughs> and that again that encapsulates the, the the stupidity both that was satirical and actually quite accurate what actually happened well and, yes and, it's. And, and, but it's also absurd so there it is so yeah thanks for for nodding your head to the absurdity of british humor we you're welcome <laughs>
1: Yes. yes, well, yeah, do no, definitely thank you. I mean that heavily influenced me growing up. So you're talking about influences, you know, I I would be especially when it comes to talking about 3 out of 10, I would be very remiss if I didn't mention, you know, the impact there on my own psyche and my own sense of humor. Indeed. And I mean it's there's there's a different I think just fiber behind that humor than you generally see these days. And I think that that, high, that fiber is much more of a delightful one and I I like to think that humor can be a delightful thing. Um, Even if it's cynical, even if it's satirical, I mean, you can take a look at a lot of different um, uh, uh, absurdist things and they can be very dark, but at the same time there, the, the, you know, the the core of it isn't generally something that is uh, antagonistic or mean spirited or, uh, you know, like I hate the phrase punching up because it's, it's not necessarily punching up instead. It's like, let's present something that you're expecting and then subvert expectations. And I think it's more about subversion than it is about uh, um, superiority. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. At least that's that's a kind of a theory I'm formulating. But anyway, though, you asked about influences, there you go. No, um, that,
0: that's a great one, that, that's <laughs> fine. Next um, question then, we do have to move sure. on. Yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the dreaded fourth question. This one is hard. You might, Are all your questions dreaded? <laughs> Well, this fourth one is... The third and fourth one. The third one is too nebulous so every time I try and frame it, it comes out. But eventually it reforms into something tangible, which is what happened there. Great. But the fourth one is only dread, dreaded because you may you think you might hurt someone's feelings. When you hear the question, you'll know why I'm saying this. All right. The question is, what developer do you most admire in the industry and
1: why? Ooh, that's a great question. Um who do I most admire in the industry? There's a lot of people I really do look up to for different reasons, Mm -hmm. depending on what we're talking about here. If you're talking about art, there's like a thousand different artists. I could talk about how much I have just like drool over their work. I think the ones I most admire are these who are able to, if you're talking about creative, like director people that are ones who are able to keep their clarity of vision while still making something that feels really uh, appealing to a lot of different audiences. Um, so, what's a good example of that? Like, I really liked Control. Um, I thought Control was an excellent game, and I thought there was a really strong clarity of vision behind what they were saying in the writing and in the gameplay and in the level design. Um, most of the combat design—I mean, I feel like that was a game that was a very tight package, um, like, and one of the better designed packages that I've seen in a long time. And so, like, I really admire—like, um, I admire Remedy. I think that they're a great developer. Um, talking about fellow indies, I really admire uh, Edmund McMillan. I think that Edmund M does some very interesting things that are um, not palatable to everybody and certainly are not, you know, the designs are are not always uh, successful to every single person, but they are experimental enough and different enough and intriguing enough that when I pick up an Edmund M game, I'm like, I'm going to get something I've never seen before. And it's going to be something that sticks with me. And I'm thinking about for a little while. For the benefit
0: of uh, the audience, could you give us some examples of his work?
1: Sure. Uh, Eminem is the guy who did. Well, Binding of Isaac is probably the biggest one, but before yes. then, it was just me. Yeah. He was just Meat Boy was the biggest one, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, Binding of Isaac, which he made in like three months with uh, yes, Florian Himself. Like, yeah, it's like he pushed out the original prototype for that so fast, and it was so fresh. And you know, the first time I looked at it, I was like, "What is this thing?" It's just like. Like, little poop, uh, poop drawings everywhere and fly drawings everywhere. It's just like, this is gross.
0: Wait, wait, no. your tears are wet. I just really... Oh, yeah. Oh, you look at that thing on paper and you're just like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, I mean, and then, then you'll be escorted from the building. Imagine him pitching that to
1: a publisher. Get out.
0: Get out. Yeah.
1: yeah. It's like, if you imagine this thing being pitched to a publisher, you'd be like, come yeah. on, really? they arrest him. they <laughs> arrest him. Yeah. But then, you know, you play it and, you know, yeah, there's a lot of wacky, like, okay, this is him doing a take on christianity iconography and a lot of weird stuff in it that may or may not just be for the sake of being weird because i you know you can't tell with him mm-hmm. but there's something there that hooked you on a design level where for me i played it once or twice and i was like okay and then I was like i'll give it another go and then three months later i was still playing it i was taking little screenshots of my character being like look at this wacky run i just had um and uh And that was really influential to get back to the influences question on tower of guns, because tower of guns, I mean, Binding of Isaac was essentially like, can we take the randomization that you would see in a traditional rogue like and make it into something that combined with the Zelda dungeon. And, you know, thus the rogue light genre was born. I mean, Spelunky kind of, you could say did that first, but like, I think that with Isaac, it resonated with me and That got a lot of wheels turning in a lot of designers' heads. They were like, what other genres could be combined with randomized elements? And uh, it's a perfect genre for a small developer um, because you can kind of prove out the gameplay with a very limited set of randomization and expand wide very easily until you've run out of money. Um, And then you're like, hey, I got a game. But cohesively, the game will feel like it's, you know, you can prove out your design and iterate on it with a very small set of content, which I think is really attractive for a very small developer so yeah. i think that it's yeah. Yeah. there was a reason that i went that route with tower of guns which is like a you know what would it look like if you took a you know a, a retro fps well semi-retro fps and combined it with that kind of randomization yeah oh um, it's uh uh you know i guess you would call him a big influence on me uh, in terms <laughs> of his design because yeah. i think he's very he's very smart mm. uh and a very uh unique designer that i don't think we uh you know he's he's not for everybody, but I feel like his designs are very... Uh, the industry is better for having his designs in it.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's perfect. What a great answer. You're doing well. <laughs> oh, well, stuff. thank you. Uh, Good <laughs> Not that there's a competition, but yeah. Um, so the last question I'm legally obliged to ask this because this is a podcast about video games, and therefore we have to ask this question. Apparently it is. What are you playing right now?
1: Okay, right now I am filling in some gaps in... Uh, I'm playing a lot of games that I can play in little bursts. So I'm playing, I never got to play Doom 64. I never had a Nintendo 64. They re-released it recently because mm-hmm. Night Dive is doing that and releasing everything that's been forgotten about, it feels like. And so I'm finally fulfilling the, uh, my, my I'm finally filling out my, my old school gamer card and checking off Doom 64. Nice. Um, it's a good game. Is,
0: it's a weird game. It, it's not the it same is. as Doom. It's not Doom, no. it's something else.
1: it's uh yeah and there's some things that i'm like people have told me it was good and it's not bad that's it's definitely is good but there are definitely decisions that i'm like you would have never seen romero or the doom people make this decision um yeah Yeah. like places where you get in where it's just like oh sorry you're just gonna die in there and there's no way out um or um weird decisions about balance that are probably made like it's it's got to be the balance decisions have to be made for memory reasons because it's like there are things that they did that limit the number of enemies that you would have had in their roster of enemies. And I think limit the number of, you know, of kinds of, of textures they probably had to deal with. So I think there's some, there's some decisions there that are probably technical in nature, but it's a fascinating study. And it's like, why did they redo all of the art? Like all of the art is fresh and new. So yeah. there's a story yeah. There has to be some kind of, of story behind that. Like what were they building before? And then they got the doom license and they like applied it to it or, I think I it's know.
0: because of the nature of the machine and that he couldn't do little sprites. It had to do these 3D models and things.
1: So that's probably what drove it. I mean, um, there's still sprites and Doom was sprites. It's, it's you know, like, I don't buy that right. one in particular. I mean, I do buy that really? Okay, okay as maybe. not yeah,
0: yeah, that's fine.
1: You might be right, but it's like they would have taken, it's almost like they took the same exact character designs and just redesigned them themselves. Maybe yeah. there was a character artist who was like, I can do it better. <laughs> um,
0: I mean, maybe. Well, it's interesting you talk about the N64 because I did actually stream Turrock.
1: Oh, nice. nice. oh, I played that again recently. Yeah, yeah, um, don't do that. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> no. I, I have such far-on memories of Turok 2. I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's first time game. I played yeah, it. It's a
0: good game, but uh, well, Turok, yeah.
1: well, it's better than Turok one. It's a low bar though. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, Turok one had impossible platforming sections. Yes. where I was just like, you indeed. want me to hop across these little spikes here? Yeah, and you yeah. wanted the people to do this with a controller? You're out of your mind um, while being shot at. Don't forget while that. being shot at yeah. yeah yeah um i did appreciate getting back to that oh you run 120 miles per hour that's fun it's like i had forgotten about how fast those games oh, were yeah, yeah um yeah. Turok 2 i remembered as a as a kid loving it because of the bosses oh, okay um they're like really really large scale interesting like room sized bosses in fact that was a big influence on tower of guns because i was like i haven't seen room-sized bosses in a game in an FPS in a long time. Nowadays, it's just here's something that's like the AI, just a little bit maybe of a beefier character. Mm -hmm. Uh, But otherwise, it's just our normal grunt AI just ramped up. Um, Maybe not that simple. I'm I'm being reductive. But still, like Turok had some wild, large bosses. At least I thought so. I tried replaying it again again the re-release, and I never even made it to the first boss. It's like the level design is so maze-like. Um, I was just wandering around forever, being like, "Where am I going again? Have I yeah. really become this much dumber as a gamer?" This didn't <laughs> disturb me at all when I was, you know, fourteen or thirteen or whatever. It it does have a map mode, doesn't it? I can't remember. I know two it or It does. That, yeah. It it does have a map, and that map is gigantic and kind of meaningless because <laughs> it looks like it's just you know, <laughs> yeah, it, It's it's awesome. hard to tell how to go from one place to another because there's teleports yeah. everywhere and uh, double backs on itself a lot. Um, I had fun playing it, and I played through probably about three hours of the re-release, um, and I never got to that first boss. And I was like, that's what I wanted to see again, is I wanted to revisit those bosses and be like, are they still fun? Mm. Um, but I never even got to them. I remember Serious
0: Sam having massive bosses. That it was did. Silly. Yeah. But yeah, that, that, was... Was,
1: that was a scale larger, even.
0: Yeah, they, 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 they lent into the ridiculousness
1: of the they game. Only had, uh, they only had like two or three bosses in that entire game, I think.
0: Yeah, you're probably right. But they when they uh,
1: arrived, it was epic. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, here's the boss. And by the way, the boss is the size of the level, like a gigantic. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. yeah that was fun. Yeah, it was great. It was like the whole you know, sort of yeah. landscape changed. The thing that was cool about that is that, you know, you could see the boss from far away and the landscapes were so large and you moved so quick that you'd be like, oh, there's a boss there. I should walk towards it oh, that boss is actually two miles away. I'm still walking <laughs> towards it. Oh, exactly. that boss is really big. I'm still yeah. walking towards it. It'd take you 20 minutes to get to it, and you would see it moving around, just doing its thing from yeah. like across the yeah. level, um, as opposed to like, you know, Painkiller, where it's like, here's the boss level. We're just going to put you at the boss's toes right away, and now, you know, you're you're fighting a boss, which is a cool, but Painkiller at great bosses, but like, uh, it, you know, it's a little different when you see this thing approaching from two kilometers away, and then you have to like get to it.
0: <laughs> and it turned out to be two kilometers tall. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well, unless you want to talk about any other game you're playing. Um, um, yeah, I mean, that's,
1: you know, I'm, I'm also very slowly playing Yohoho.io. Which just open in a browser window always. Okay. That's, that's a small little just just browser game that every once in a while I'll have one of them open. Kind of like Fine. a candy, Yeah candy box type game. That I've been playing a little bit here and there, but yeah, Doom 64 playing through that. I also picked up I recently picked up uh, I'm a little bit late here, but I picked up the the new uh, Star Wars game that came out in January. Oh! Do, fallen? Do, what was it called? Fallen Order? That- yeah, Fallen Order. I haven't even gotten to install it yet, but I've been like, I love Star Wars games. I will someday play this.
0: Yeah, I'll just wait for it to get dirt cheap, which is, I think, pretty close to being so... so. Yeah, Yeah, I think uh, I picked it up
1: for like $17
0: or something like that. There you go. It's all all happening that way. Right then, (laughs) let's move on to the second half of the show where we delve deep into 3 out of 10. Sure. So, opening question, not really a question, kind of a request. You've already hinted at what this is, but in your own words, Joe, what is three out of ten?
1: All right. So, three out of ten is a playable sitcom. It is an episodic uh, cartoon that you can interact with, and it is uh, uh, released, you know, in thirty-minute chunks um, for free um, on the Epic Game Store. And it is the story of the world's worst video game studio. Like seriously, this is a game studio that has never ever released a game that's done better than 3 out of 10. So hence the title. Um, and so you kind of join their antics as we make fun of the industry, we make fun of games, we make fun of ourselves um, very uh, adoringly. Um, and uh, uh, these these characters in this world's worst game studio struggle to try and make a game that's actually somewhat decent. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it ends up being pretty absurd. We end up having lots of different uh, goofy things that happen from week to week. Um, yes. Genuinely and, uh, involving interns, so <laughs> yeah, some of them, yes, yes, some... and the the last episode of the season actually just released this week. So yeah, um, indeed, all your Is, that,
0: can go try it. Yes, yeah, so it released yesterday at the time mm-hmm. of the release of this show. So um, because we're recording in the past, sorry everyone. Uh, time we're going to do. It's interesting you called it three out of ten. I'm just fascinated by the fact that years gone by, you may have called it seven out of ten. <laughs> <To say. laughs> Because that was, you know, that was the mark people used to use when they couldn't really make a judgment, and then they decided what. But you're right; you need to impress the fact that they actually genuinely make demonstrably bad games.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like there are very few games. There are like there are fewer three out of ten games. Yes. I I don't know if this is true or not, but I would be willing to bet at least like four dollars that there's fewer. Three out of 10 games on like Metacritic or you know, whatever ranking site you should use, then there are nine out of 10 games or even 10 10 out of 10 10 games. I think there's more 10 out of 10 games,
0: yeah, yeah, because most games are actually quite good. I have you
1: know, it's just, or at least they live in that mediocrity in the middle somewhere, yeah. And
0: no one sets out to make a bad game unless (laughs) apparently it's three out of 10. Working for a company that actually does make three out of 10 games, so um. First design question, and this is fairly an obvious one, but I want to, I want you to expand on it. Mm-hmm. With three out of ten being episodic, has this granted you more energy to focus on a finite experience?
1: Oh uh, well, yeah, I mean this is episodic, and it's also, I mean it is serialized, so there's a story that progresses slowly throughout mm. the, uh, the series. There but, are uh, story
0: arcs, everyone. Of, of there the are time. story arcs.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, we wanted to keep it very gentle for people to get on and off of the, uh, like, to, to, like, ramp up onto the, the game. So you can kind of start at any episode, and mm-hmm. each episode is standalone with its own funny, silly antics. Um, and uh, in, in general, it's a much, much, much different uh, arc than what I've worked with. I mean... Like the last time I worked in a game that had a finite experience was probably Titan Quest, because um, it went from that to the Amalur MMO to Tower of Guns, which was designed to be played infinitely. Yes, it was a finite experience in that you could play it in like an hour, but you were you know I made made it to be played many times over. Same thing with Mother Gunship. Yeah, yeah. So this is much tighter, much much more narrative based, much much more cinematic than anything else I've ever worked on. Um, it's the, the point sliver where... it's
0: the portions you're just giving the you know here's a portion of a thing there you are enjoy and that you know that must focus you well yeah and
1: it's it's like that's kind of something that i haven't seen before done in the industry part of this was mm. really an experiment um three out of ten because it is delivered in like these episodic chunks and because it's like 30 minutes you know in and out it's like every project i've ever worked on it's always like they're like trying to steal all the gamers' time. And even myself, I was guilty of it with Tower of Guns. And I was just like, how do I make this something that people want to play endlessly? And with 3 out of 10, I'm just like, no, 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 wait. There's plenty of other games doing that. And you're basically asking people to like change their hobbies, which these days, if people are playing obsessively one game and nothing else, it might be because they have their whole social structure built around that game. So... Those people will still be fans of a show. They'll still be fans of, you know, they'll still come check out your podcast every every uh week, you know? It's like why can't uh why couldn't a game be that respectful of somebody's time? Um Yeah. And
0: yeah. Why you know was... we, we don't have to have a vast, you know, red Dead Redemption two all the time. Not there's anything no. wrong with that game. Really No, not like at all. But, it's you it's know. just
1: this game, as its thesis was, can we coexist with somebody who's playing Red Dead obsessively every day? Yeah. Um, can this be something they can be like, you know what? Uh, I, I think I can, during my lunch break, jump in, check out this episode. I know it's going to take me this long. I know I'll have fun. I'll know it goes somewhere I have never was expecting. And then jump back out and, and get on with my, my life and come back again and visit these characters again in a week. Um, that was part of the experiment. The other part of the experiment was, how is this going to work on the development side? Because if we're developing something that takes us three years to make before we ever even see what people think, well, I don't know if that's super sustainable for, for the industry going forward. That's why you see models like early access really starting, you know, they've been taken off for years now, but like, like, I feel like that's one of the main appeals from a developer standpoint is that you start to get yourself audited early. And with three out of 10, it's like, okay, we can see what people think and adapt from, from how the industry responds to three out of 10 episodes. Um, And that excited to me that I wouldn't have to work for three hours or sorry, for three years just to see what people think of this one digestible experience at the end of it, or, you know, a bigger game at the end of it. Instead, I was like, let's push out um, these smaller episodes and really kind of have a, you know, continuing beat, continual beats of, of these episodes rather than, you know, firing your, your payload kind of, all at once, after guessing for three years, yeah, for three we're years, like three years yeah. down the road. Yeah. I mean, we still worked for a long time to make these first batch of episodes. Don't get me wrong, mm. but like now we've got our pipeline running. We're we're rolling. We we know what we're doing now. Yeah, so. you got
0: the assets all sorted. sorted out. You got the machine. You have got the engine. It's all there. I say all there, but it's still a lot of work to do, and that's great.
1: It is a lot of work, but like we've got, you know, we just did a tech deep dive with uh, Epic, where we we kind of went over some of the tools we made, and it took us a while to make these tools, but now we're like. We're firing on all cylinders now as a team. We know how we work with each other. We, um, you know, we'll always refine it. But I am really proud of where this the, the team I'm working with has gone. It's like I look at three out of ten, and this is not me. This is a terrible posture games uh, game. Uh, like this is something that is way beyond anything that I, as a director, uh, would ever even think about uh, uh, potentially having the ability to make. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though it looks like a small scope, it's actually much larger in scope. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Spe- machine that is making it.
0: Yeah, speaking of uh, scope, one of the things that might strike people as uh, quite like, wait, well, hang on, hang on, is that the level of interactivity in uh, 3 out of 10. Now, we could clearly say that it's a point-and-click adventure and that kind of thing, but it isn't. It's more to it than that. There's an element of that, but uh, at its core, there is a series of events that trigger what can only be described as an interactive event, which is a kind of a mini-game. And uh, there's a lot of them in, in 3 out of 10. And uh, some there's two, there's a couple of them, maybe three or one, or in, in any particular episode. But, you know, the story must string together these uh, series of events that then trigger this game. How have you mm-hmm. found... I mean, a lot of these games seem to play a lot of homage to other more... You know other more um, uh, sort of established titles out there because you're again it's just, it's a it's a satire it's a it's a comedy it's making commentary on the on the medium that is video games. So how have you found designing these these bite sized games?
1: Um, well, I mean we've we've got a few different things that we look for in every game. One is we want to you know exactly what you said pay homage or you know make it come across as a love letter. Like there are places where we will actually directly reference the entire. Uh, a section of another game that we love. We're just like, you know, what people will get this. People will be like, uh, people will think this is funny simply because of the reference there. Um, sometimes we just want to present the players with something they've never seen. The genres of these mini games are all over the place, and that's by design. We wanted, we can make them fairly quickly, and we wanted to really make sure that people never knew what to expect. And that goes back to that whole bit of you know, comedy, the kinds of things you're going to play also play into that. Um, Because if you are surprised, you are enjoying the experience. My most memorable experiences in games. Okay, so here's a good example. My most memorable, like, hour of gaming that I think I've ever experienced is probably in No One Lives Forever 2. And the game was okay, and I can barely remember much of it. But there was a section in the middle where you're in a... um, house that's abandoned and it's all stormy outside and you are in the exotic location of Akron Ohio um which is not all that exciting of a location if you uh know much about uh, Akron Ohio i guess it's a lot of suburbia basically um and uh you're investigating this like this this spy that had kind of uh turned it was like a spy within a spy um a counter spy and as you're investigating this through this abandoned house it's really creepy and then All of a sudden, you get attacked by ninjas, of all things ninjas. And so you run out. And then you're running around through suburbia in this stormy weather uh, against all these ninjas, trying to escape from them. And then you see there's a tornado in the background. And this is all in a first-person shooter view, by the way. And then there's a tornado in the background. And you're running kind of towards this tornado. And there's a boss fight in a trailer park with this tornado. Uh, The tornado is not the boss, it's just there, with a boss ninja. while the tornado is just rolling these trailers around so the entire level is changing because these trailers rolling around and then you get into one of those trailers with the boss ninja and you have a sword fight in a trailer up inside of a tornado flying around and this is all done seamlessly within the space of about you know 30 45 minutes and it just went from one thing to the other to the other to the other and it left me with the most delighted impression of what games could be not well, I- every game needs to be absurdist like that but like the ability to surprise a player is one of our most effective tools to making something memorable. And in a lot of ways, you could design to hell out of something, but if you're not memorable, then no one's going to no know one's going to remember you. Remember, yeah. <laughs> I mean, look at
0: GoldenEye. People, that's the that game is riddled with surprises. That's the point.
1: That's, right, that's the point. or you know, that's. I mean, I feel like that's why one of you know why Doom is one of the strongest game designs in terms of its levels is that they. Do a good job of surprising you, setting up yes. expectations, and even in the level design. I was playing through uh, Sigil recently, John Romero's return to the Doom engine, and I was like, "Wow, the level design here is just pretty solid." Because I'm surprised at mm. what is doing, what is happening, and it's a good example of what you can do when you can change your environment around. You know, for decades now, we'd have more static FPSs, um, but it used to be that the whole level would change around on you frequently, and that was delightful.
0: Yeah so from from that spiritual sort of in encounter if you like or feeling of being surprised and that you then manage to create this this microcosm you, you don't know what's going to happen that's the what I love about it there's no flag you just suddenly realize oh you're now dodging missiles from from uh, missile toting uh, robots that are, yeah,
1: and are I mean... <laughs> the
0: military by the way are
1: not from the military they're not not ex military no. <laughs> um, it's Yeah, we try and make it so that there's some fun to be had and there is a cohesive story. But we also try and present you with surprises in the way that we twist um, who you're playing as, what you're doing. For example, one of the favorite mini games, and I apologize, I'm going to be spoiling things a little bit, but in the second episode, one of the games people seem to like the most, suddenly you are playing as a creature inside of a pet crate, bouncing around in a physics-based stealth game. It's the best way you can you can probably describe. Yes, and it. when you leap, mini golf.
0: And when you leap, you yell, "I'm networking." It's great,
1: <laughs> right? Because you are an intern you're or an a intern. student, essentially. Yeah, you're is, a student. Yes, you know, told that the networking is the most important thing in the world. Yes. Um, but that one's a lot of fun too, because then you land, and it's like a thousand just like ow, oh, ow, uh, uh,
0: as you're yeah, running around. Yeah, but
1: uh, yeah. it's essentially a stealth game, and you know you would not have thought that a physics-based mini golf. Stealth game would work, but it's actually a lot of fun to play. It's fairly intuitive, and we took the opportunity to make kind of an experiment in design. So you could look at it two ways: one is we pl- or multiple ways, I guess. These mini games make homages to other games that we love that have defined who we are. They're designed to surprise the player, and then the last element is designed to experiment with designs in things that we haven't seen before, new genres, combinations of genres, doing things that are a little different from what we'd normally expect. Um, Sometimes we will kind of lean on a genre that we know is fairly established, but generally we try and and shake it up and do something we haven't seen. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Everything that you're playing in the game is skippable. So if you find that there's a mini game that you're not suited to the controls of, you can actually skip it without real major penalty and get on with the story. We didn't want that to ever be a hang-up that's there for you to enjoy and, and perfect if you wanted to five-star it. But uh, we don't want you to feel like you can't experience the the episode because of of perhaps you know uh, one particular genre is not for you for example a lot of people get motion sick from first person shooters there are a few fps mini games in the uh in season 1 um so that will never limit you
0: no. no
1: or a spooky game There's one or two spooky games and some people just can't handle spooky games that's, that's fine. fine You can skip right. that's cool that's a great yeah. idea i did like that
0: i did like that but i have yet to do that cuz hey i like games anyway <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean I, I like pretty much every game there is too, so it's <laughs> it's like I play them all, or I, yeah. you know, if I weren't the one who would play them all a thousand times already and I was seeing this fresh, I would probably play them all.
0: Indeed. Next question. Three out sure. of ten is riddled with satire and commentary on the current state and historic state and future state of video game of the video game industry. How have you found pushing those boundaries?
1: Uh, well, I mean it's I don't think that they're pushing the boundaries nearly as much as as i mean i'm I, I think they're gently mocking the boundaries i think ultimately i'm making fun of myself in a lot of these things or I'm making fun of ourselves so by being a voice that comes from within i feel like i can accurately ridicule things that are worthy of being ridiculed within the industry itself um i try to be fairly absurdist with the mockery and the satire that i that i place so it's like you know we'll make fun of of art school. We'll make fun of game design colleges and there's some pointed critiques, but it's also in a completely silly framework that is so over the top and so weird that uh, it's hard to really take it as being something that's biting. It's designed to be more good humor and, you know, I don't know if this is the kind of game that will ever change, you know, the way somebody thinks about game design schools. Um, They might, but if it's ever going to have a chance to do that, if you're ever going to convince someone of something they had not already thought, then I don't think the way to do that is with a biting commentary. Um, I think that you just end up preaching to the choir that way instead, keep it light, keep it sillier. And then later on at night, the person will be thinking about something and be like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I do want to reconsider something, my opinion on something. Um, Right now, you know, the project is still pretty new and, uh, in general I want to make sure that if we are satiring something that is terrible in the industry I want to make sure that I'm actually speaking from a place of, of authority I want to make sure that it's something that I've experienced and I'm not going to be disingenuinely representing a situation yeah um, if
0: that makes sense it's too easy to do that to to uh you know punch below the belt and that kind of stuff and it's it doesn't really help anyone does it because
1: yeah well there's there's, there's there's punching there's, there's, below the belt and yeah. and then there's like i may just not be educated enough to maturely talk about a lot of like a lot of this industry has a lot of messed up things going on in it mm-hmm. uh, all industry does our world right now has a lot of messed up things going on in it the last thing that i want to do is ridicule some real pain somewhere that i may not have thought about um, yeah
0: punching and, down as you say is just uh a-
1: it's uh, I guess, yeah, punch it down or collateral punching. You're punching one direction and you didn't realize there was someone innocent in the middle of the punch yeah. uh, before it got to the destination. And that's yeah. something that I've done on accident before and it feels terrible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so. It's, a, it's a great response because, you know, from you know what's oh, a comedy game about video game development oh i bet they really sort of go into this and sort of lamb lambast ea all the time and like actually no because that's easy and it's not very funny i mean it's just, <laughs> you know it's just like it's not funny is it that, that you know you could make sort of um sort of um we've been talking about surprises but you know they quoted they made the concept of surprise mechanics like really really <laughs> and you, you could have done that you maybe you do that in a future episode where they got a lawyer sitting there sort of going well we got surprise mechanics like, you know, we, it's like
1: we definitely make fun of in later episodes we're, we're continuing to work on more now and we yeah. we do make fun of some bigger game studios in them um yeah. but it's not much, much much more making fun of of you know uh different aspects of it that i actually have experienced myself and seen yeah and and yeah. less uh less about um the the jokes that uh maybe have been done a thousand times before because i mean it's very easy to make fun of a company like ea but ea you're talking about a company that has a thousand different faces they're gigantic so it's like at any one time they have a thousand different things going on it's uh, a thousand different things that are worthy of ridicule if you fall back to just we're making fun of a big company that's faceless and soulless well that's we've already done that we've seen that in a thousand different places and uh i don't know if the jokes that would be made there are unique to my own voice uh, for what I think is funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Last question then. All good things come to an end, but here we are. All right. The character designs in three out of 10 are very much caricatures. (laughs) They're very much caricatures in that they have extreme features that seem to reflect their personalities. Was this your way to shortcut questions players may have regarding these characters? Um, Well, can you give an example of what you mean? Well, for example uh, uh, Midge she's sort of the main protagonist and uh, she 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 comes across as very um, sardonic and very dry and sort of resigned to her fate initially and she comes across as very, she seems to be the sane one at anyone one who is, who is insane and the way she lopes around and her movement and her, her basically uh, her demeanor implies someone who is resigned to her fate that's what i'm getting from maybe i'm reading too much of it but that's i just get yeah. the impression and then you have um it, it's this vector who's you know he's just very intense and screaming. Oh, viper. Viper, sorry, viper. Yeah, he is the the screaming and constantly yelling and wanting to punch people in the face to remove their snot from their nose. <laughs> um, is is you know he he's dressed in a certain way and he's very big and loud and tall and uh, you know his ego is ten times that of his ability. I suspect. Uh, and uh, well he must be because he's in that studio that makes terrible games uh, <laughs> and uh, and I just find it they've all got these sort of um, uh, yeah this this sort of persona but their persona is beyond just the way they act it's the way they look and I just think that's a very clever way of actually rather than having this big sort of story arc build up of creative, who these characters are what you already got an idea of what they are because of what they look like which I know is not something we should be encouraging, but this is a comedy show and you need to get to the jokes, right?
1: You do, right? So, I mean, you do kind of lean on the visuals to reinforce the themes that you're working with. Uh, but, I mean, you know, ultimately any writer who's writing characters is drawing from their own internal experiences. So, in a way, like, all these characters are, uh, in some ways, different aspects of of me as the writer, um but that said, though I've tried to make them abstract enough that it feels universal enough that different people are drawn to different characters. There are some people who really, really are like Viper is my favorite, even though he's incredibly intense. And there's other people who are just like, you know what, this this sarcastic HR lady Francine, she is that's that's exactly who I think you know I would be in this situation. Um, and you know they are cartoon characters. Um, I think that when it comes to cartoon characters, you know you shouldn't be designing them like a and character because that's not going to serve you very well. Um, instead, you know, generally with D D characters, you're like kind of looking about whether or not they'd be lawful or whether or not they'd be, you know, what kind of main character flaw they have or what their, their sad history is like. Um, instead, you should be determining them uh, as I, I find you should be writing the characters about whether or not they respond to a hilarious situation deadpan or whether or not they respond to it with anger, almost like plotting out these characters as responses to situations and letting that guide their character development. And there is a history behind all these different characters, but not always is it tragic. Not every character has a tragic backstory or not always is it even relevant. Um, And I think that, that when you're talking about a cartoon, which essentially this is, you have more freedom for, playfully exploring the personality as you find the jokes um, and then letting the characters evolve over time you could take a look at this in almost any animation and uh, at least episodic animation they will largely discover uh, who these characters are as the viewer does um, over the course of years. Um, you know you look at early Simpsons from later Simpsons and I feel like even though these characters are fairly simple they they're one notes eventually become two notes three notes five notes and they become much more complex characters uh, gradually so yeah. I don't know if it answers your question at all or even where No, it really does a fantastic job to.
0: because it was an opening gambit and it may have been unfair of me to accuse you of trying to create shortcuts in characters. It wasn't. It wasn't the intention to undermine your efforts. I will say this, though,
1: about the visuals. Like, you take Viper, for example, and Viper yes. has, like, this this very hardcore gamer attitude. He does, yeah. But I did not give him... And in their early version of him, he did look like basically a, uh, a character from a heavy metal band. <laughs> and I was like, that's too on the nose. I want him yeah. to look like someone who's cool, but I want him to look like someone who is who is thinking they're cool in their own way. So I was like, let's give him this cool like bomber jacket. Let's give him these studs on his on his pants. Let's give him these these sunglasses that are really right out of Top Gun. You don't see people wearing the sunglasses like that. No. You know, like he does have the Wolverine hair, which, you know, is kind of uh, a very like you immediately think of a certain kind of I'm evoking a certain kind of persona when I do that. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like he's like Wolverine. It's like he's his, he's his own thing. He just has a similar haircut. Um, you know, I it's.
0: A, I think the the highlight for me uh, Is when they're in the back of a car, and one of the other characters, someone named who, just points to him and said, "Remind me, why are we bringing him again?"
1: <laughs> yeah, and and other characters totally will play off that. Gets into the whole like, okay, is there a straight face here in this conversation? Is there yeah, someone yeah. who like yeah. echoes the viewers' yeah. responses here? Like,
0: He's kind of annoying. Yeah, he is isn't he. <laughs>
1: Yeah, everybody. Everybody else hates Kevin. Kevin, yeah. is like, 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 Kevin is this this nerdy designer who's always talking about uh, usually something pretty funny, but everyone else is like, Kevin, tone down the Kevin, please, just a little. Just, can you not um, be
0: so Kevin? Like,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. And that's actually a line in one of the later episodes, and it's yeah. it's um, you know that's that character is you know I'm I'm making fun of a persona, but that is part of you know like I have been that person. Um, yeah. And I know many people who are that person. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, as much as we make fun of them here, those people are turning around and making fun of Viper. Uh, so <laughs> it's, you know, it, it horses, it's a two-way horses. street.
0: And I still don't know where Pylon sits, but I don't think he does either. So let's... Well, he sits right next to Kevin on the left That's side. That's it. Of the yeah. Physically, yes. <laughs> I'm just thinking about the universe itself. But you probably, yeah. I'm not sure if you made the joke about constructing more of him, but I don't know. We'll see.
1: Oh man! Okay, so early on, we wanted to always almost do it. <laughs> yeah, be like, I must go construct diff- additional, additional me. Something. and then yeah, and just like but we, we would, like he would never quite say it. No, um, but we no. we ended up those jokes all ended up getting written out just through whatever review Yeah,
0: because it has is attributed to a card game that no one likes to
1: play anymore. So, you know. <laughs> it would have been it would have been you know fun to make that gag. We would have yeah. been. Fun so, oh, for the people who are fans of knowing that gag already, yeah. you never fully deliver it. Like, no. have him start to say it and then change to something else. And yeah. maybe I'll do yeah. it again in the future.
0: Maybe but. we could construct more of those. Yeah, maybe we could, Pylon. Okay. Right, exactly. Like,
1: like always <laughs> dance around it, but yeah. never actually you say You could actually
0: say the full sentence.
1: Like, I well, we uh, could build were, more of those. I'm like, like <laughs> Pylon, if there only there were more of you, you're so useful, right? Yeah. Additional. <laughs> Technical artists like me. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and you say it's yeah, it broad caps right
0: across the screen.
1: <laughs> that is okay, so the the you know, that's why he's named Pylon originally in this in the in the script was because with tech artists these days, you always need more of them. And so like I was playing off of that a little bit in my head. That's right. never anything that gets conveyed to the audience, and it doesn't need to. It was just to keep it straight in my head, who the tech artist is, is the one that you always need more of. <laughs> <laughs> so Three out of ten
0: by terrible posture games. I have to ask, where's the name of the uh, developer come from?
1: Uh, terrible posture games. Um, a lot of people told me I had terrible posture, and I do. someday I will maybe be able to rename so. the company to slightly better posture. Slightly games. better
0: posture. Right. So is this is a reflection on your gait. Yeah,
1: it's it's also kind of a thing. You know, people will be like, oh that. You know, you got terrible posture, especially among gamers uh, or people who sit in the computer all day. So we always need to be mindful of sitting better at our desks.
0: We do, but we got the awesome chairs now. So there's that.
1: (laughs) That helps. It you know that helps. It really
0: does help when people go make fun of it. Like no, the back supports amazing. So, yeah. Oh, uh, if you're
1: going to be now, they're all working from home and they're like, man, my chair sucks. Yeah. And I like, yeah. I told you. <laughs> told you. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I have a, I have a similar
0: sort of awesome seat because it does my back so much good. So, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, 3 out of 10 via Terrible Posture Games is out now. It's on Windows PC. Anything? Other, any other, that's it? That's the only platform that's out on there.
1: Yeah, it's out? Yeah, it's on Windows. It's only available from the Epic Game Store. However, yes. it is entirely free. So you can go pick it up and try it out. And, and uh, you can pick up all five episodes of the first season right now. Yep. All completely 100% free. Go play it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Terrible Posture. You can check us out at 310.show. And you can find links to our Discord there. Mm-hmm. We'd love for anyone who come, wants to come hang out in our Discord. We make fun of each other all the time there and post fun pictures. So and talk uh, about building additional pylons. So we do, yes, and occasionally yeah. we post funny videos or funny, you know, gifs of uh, all of the different terrible ways we can break our animation system. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's fun. Uh, <laughs> lots of fun stuff happens there. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me, man. No, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you and
0: uh do wish you the very best of luck in the future seasons of three out of ten it's really funny really entertaining um a nice gentle jab at the at the medium we love so much and the creation and the people behind them behind the creation of uh, video games is is lovely so um, thank you for your time and being so honest and open and honest about the it's cre- the creation of uh, three out of ten thank you
1: thanks thanks for having me i had a blast um
0: you have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Canaan and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website caneandrinse.com.